This episode includes depictions of harm against minors and the death of a parent. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one story of the Boggart. Today's episode combines features from a number of British legends for dramatic effect. Hello all, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week, we seek out the world's most unique and terrifying legendary monsters. They frighten us, seduce us, and devour us. But still, we draw closer, because the best way to understand a culture is to stare down their deepest fears. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we meet a mischievous spirit you may think you know from fantasy literature or games. Perhaps you imagine troll-like minions of a white witch or a shapeshifter hiding in a cupboard, both easily destroyed or humiliated. But the traditional English boggart is not so easily defeated. Really, it can't be vanquished at all. Coming up, the Boggart welcomes new prey into its home. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. In 1867, folklorist John Harland and T.T. Wilkinson wrote, There is scarcely an old house or hall of any antiquity in Lancashire that cannot boast of that proud distinction over the houses of yesterday, a ghost or boggart. But these hauntings aren't limited to grand old homes. Boggarts can be found in small farms, shadowy glades, ravines, and even ponds. Local legend sometimes gives these areas the name Boggart Holes. At least 14 still stand in northern England today. The nature of the Boggart varies dramatically from story to story. Some describe their appearance as a troll or ogre of ever-changing size. Others claim that they never show themselves at all, working their devilry from the shadows. They're most commonly known for inconvenient yet harmless mischief like souring milk and stealing small objects. But they've also been blamed for child abduction and murder. 
The one universal fact is you cannot charm them, ever. Other fairies or house spirits may give favors if you offer them gifts, but any act of kindness towards a boggart only makes their behavior more aggressive. And the absolute worst thing you can do is give them a name. Charlie had been sitting in the slowly moving car for what felt like centuries. He looked down at his father's wristwatch, still too large for his 12-year-old hands. He would have to grow into it. It's not like dad was around to get it resized. It had taken over four hours to get from London to Yorkshire. He had imagined the moors would be foggy, beautiful, just waiting for Macbeth's witches to cast their spell. Instead, they were damp, muddy, and monotonous. The great tree looming ahead was the first thing to break up the unremarkable landscape in hours, and it wasn't a cheery change. The tree was wide and gnarled, leafless, with bark that looked almost black, though perhaps that was an effect of the distance. It was very far back from the road. Charlie's younger brother, Jack, piped up beside him. I bet that's a fairy tree. Charlie sighed. You think everything's a fairy tree. Jack crossed his small arms and sat back against the seat, gravely serious. That's because fairies are everywhere, Charlie. Charlie opened his mouth to reply, but words left his head as Hindmarsh Hall emerged from the mist. Their grandmother's home, a grand gray manor that looked very, very haunted. Charlie had never been there, but now it was home. Charlie found himself staring up at the house from its immense stone steps. He hadn't even noticed the driver leave. The only evidence the car had been there at all was a now empty gap in the swirling fog. Charlie took his brother's hand and knocked on the door. The house seemed to breathe in the silence between beats. Charlie raised his hand to knock again. The door swung open beneath his fist. The man who had opened it was as gnarled as Jack's fairy tree. He beckoned them inside without a word. The entrance hall was open to the second and third floors. The balustrades of the landings made it feel like a cage. Their footsteps echoed on the marble floor. Grandmother was standing on the stairs. She was a stately woman who reminded Charlie of Queen Victoria. Hello, children. I had hoped we would meet under better circumstances. A few rules before you settle in. You will do as I say and keep the schedule I keep. You must be in your beds by sundown, without exception, and you must ignore any strangeness you may see. Promise me. Charlie looked down at his brother. Those were several very strange requests, but it wasn't like he could say no. She was, for better or worse, family. The butler, Mr. Bell, took their luggage and walked them up the wide stairs to a two-large room with two small beds right beside each other. A set of toys that were more appropriate for a toddler than a nine and 12-year-old were strewn across the floor. A many-pronged chandelier hung over their heads. At the far end of the room stood a wardrobe. 
Jack rushed past Charlie and Mr. Bell to open it wide, rifling through the clothes. Charlie, it's just like Narnia. Charlie gave Mr. Bell a world-weary groan that said, clearly you and I are the only grown-ups here, and went about unpacking his books. But Jack's wonder remained undimmed. It carried him through their grandmother's entire lesson on the history of the empire. He was still buzzing when they finished. He tugged at Charlie's hand, begging to explore the house. Charlie much preferred to settle in with his copy of Utopia, but when he reached over to take the book from his desk, it was gone. He checked the floor and the cupboards. He even asked Mr. Bell, but he couldn't find hide nor hair of it. Jack was unhelpful. I bet the fairies took it. Let's get a saucer of milk for them. I'm sure they'll give it back. The worst part was that his little brother meant every word. Charlie ignored Jack's enthusiasm. He needed a nap. As Jack scampered off down the hall, he slumped into his bed, kicking off his shoes and crawling beneath the blanket. He cradled his father's watch in his hands. He was sick of acting as if everything was all right. He didn't have the luxury of retreating into fairy stories. Charlie could have spent all afternoon feeling sorry for himself. That is, if he wasn't rudely interrupted by someone pulling on his blanket. He shouted, Go away, Jack! But the pulling only grew stronger. It took all of Charlie's strength to hold on to the edge of his little cocoon. Stop it! Still, Jack pulled. Stop! Charlie could hear the blanket ripping. If they didn't stop this, they would both be in trouble from mangling the bedclothes. Fortunately, Charlie knew just how to handle his brother. He pulled as hard as he could. Then he let go, expecting Jack to tug himself onto the floor. As expected, the blankets flew out of his hands, fluttering off the edge of the bed. Charlie waited to hear Jack's sobs at the foot of the bed, blaming Charlie for a fall that was entirely his fault. But there was no Jack, just a limp blanket lying on a pile of toys. Jack was standing in the doorway. You all right, Charlie? Charlie looked from his brother to the floor. You weren't pulling on my blanket? Jack tilted his head. No, I just got here. I bet it's the fairy in the wardrobe. The thought sent a shiver up Charlie's spine. There's no fairy in the wardrobe, Jack. He hopped out of bed. Let's play outside until dinner. As if in response to this suggestion, a gust of wind from outside stirred the chandelier over his head. He shook himself. Anywhere was better than here. Jack gave a happy skip and led the way. Charlie insisted they stay outside as long as possible. They ate with their grandmother at dusk. Afterwards, she escorted them to their room and locked their door up tight. The days blended together. Lessons, play outside, dinner at dusk, bed by nightfall. Charlie continued to misplace items, which wasn't like him, and he struggled to sleep. So he was very irritated when something woke him at half past three in the morning. He thought it was the wind at first. Then he turned towards the wardrobe. There was a small form crouched beside the open door, whispering. 
Charlie called into the dark. Jack, who are you talking to? The little figure's head turned. His brother's eyes glinted in the moonlight. The fairy in the wardrobe, of course. Charlie's heart was pounding, but he insisted that there's no fairy in the wardrobe. Jack didn't seem bothered by his brother's disbelief. I named him Terrence. Terrence seemed like a good name. Charlie walked over to his brother. He shut the wardrobe. Terrence is a lovely name. Please go to sleep. He tucked Jack in. As he walked over to his bed, he caught movement out of the corner of his eye. The door of the wardrobe was creaking open. Goosebumps spread on Charlie's skin. Another sound caught his attention a moment later, this one coming from above. The chandelier was rattling, softly at first, then louder. It swung precariously on its wire, back and forth, back and forth, gaining momentum. It hung suspended for a moment. Then the wire snapped and it began to fall. Coming up, Charlie and Jack learn that the thing in this house is no fairy. What could be more shocking than uncovering the deep, dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Carter from the podcast series Conspiracy Theories. Every Monday and Wednesday, Take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction and discover that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. From the government's link to Bigfoot and the otherworldly secrets of the Vatican to the Grateful Dead's role in the spread of LSD and more. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may just be outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Conspiracy Theories. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Charlie's grandmother stood over the boys, breathless as she surveyed the damage. The shattered chandelier lay at the center of the room. Broken glass coated the floor like first snow. What the devil is going on in here? Jack hid behind Charlie, clutching at the back of his pajamas. The fairy did it. Their grandmother's eyes narrowed. The fairy did it? Charlie swallowed. She told them to ignore any strangeness, and he was inclined to do that. The thought that some invisible being had tried to crush him and his brother under a falling chandelier was too much for his tired mind to bear. It's my fault, grandmother. I was jumping on the bed and grabbed it. I'm very sorry. 
The expression that passed over their grandmother's face looked a lot like relief, but it quickly turned to anger. If that is the case, you will help Mr. Bell clean up every shard in the morning. Then she walked them down the high-ceilinged hall into another cavernous bedroom. A large four-poster bed jutted from the wall like a cliff by the sea. She didn't say goodnight as she closed the door, locking it behind her. Charlie helped Jack into the bed before getting in himself. Jack turned to look at him. Do you believe me now? Charlie kept his eyes glued to the curtains that surrounded the bed. There isn't a fairy in the wardrobe, Jack. If there was, why would it break the chandelier? You've been leaving it gifts, haven't you? It should be happy. Isn't that how this works? Jack didn't say anything. They both knew the answer. Silence stretched between them. A nightbird squawked on the moors. Jack's voice was small when he whispered, Are mom and dad in heaven? Charlie ran his fingers over his father's watch beneath the covers. Of course they are. Another pause passed between them. Why didn't they like Gran? Charlie didn't know how to answer. The silence returned, filling the room until Jack's shallow breaths became snores. Charlie was still holding the watch when he finally fell asleep. Charlie woke slowly. The guest room was east-facing, so the rising sun pricked at his eyelids bit by bit. He groaned and turned over. Jack was snoring loudly. Charlie reached down to run his fingers over his father's watch. It wasn't there. Charlie jumped out of bed. He tore the covers away, feeling around for the missing timepiece. Jack stirred in his sleep. He whimpered and reached for the bedclothes. Charlie bent down to check the floor. It wasn't there either. He tore the room apart, but there was no sign. Then he froze. Jack, did you take Dad's watch? Jack blinked his eyes open and stared in confusion. Then he shook his head. Charlie considered his little brother. Jack was nothing if not a rule follower. He was also an absolutely terrible liar. He sat on the bed and pulled Jack into a sitting position. How do you speak to your fairy? Jack blanched. You think Terrence took the watch? Charlie couldn't believe he was doing this, but he nodded. How do we get it back? Should I look in the wardrobe? Jack gave a small shrug. Terrence isn't always in the wardrobe. He wanders. I suppose we could put out some milk on the doorstep? Charlie pulled on his dressing gown and dragged Jack down to the kitchen. He poured some fresh milk into a saucer. Jack placed it on the tiled floor with reverent care. When he stood up to come back to his brother, Charlie asked him what they were supposed to do now. Jack tugged Charlie to the other side of the kitchen. We wait. Terrence doesn't like to be seen. They sat down beside the wood stove, leaving a long table and chairs between them and the door, so the fairy had privacy. They waited for what felt like an eternity. Finally, Charlie looked up at the ceiling and spoke. I need that watch, Terrence. It's very important. We'll give you all the treats you like. Please give it back. We'll turn away and you can just leave it on the table. He felt ridiculous, but he didn't know what else to do. 
The creaking door, the falling chandelier, his grandmother's warning, it all added up to something unnatural, something he didn't want to be a part of. He and Jack both faced the fire, not speaking. The room was still empty. He heard one of the chairs squeak. Against his better judgment, hope rose in his chest. He waited to hear the soft clink of the watch landing on the table. Instead, he heard breaking china and a splash. The milk lay in a puddle across the tile. The plate was shattered. Jack's voice shook. I don't think Terrence is happy. Charlie should have been scared, but all he felt was anger. I'm not happy either, Terrence. I need that watch. Jack lowered his voice to the barest whisper. I don't think this is a good idea, Charlie. Charlie ignored him, calling out into the gloom. Give me the watch now, Terrence, or I'll find some vicar to make your life miserable. There was no answer. Then something rattled nearby. The sound seemed to be coming from a drawer on the other side of the kitchen. Charlie ran over to the offending drawer and yanked it open, but he didn't find a watch. He found a knife. The blade was impossibly pointed upward right at him. Charlie froze. He'd taken half a breath when the blade launched itself straight at his face. Charlie barely dodged out of the way. The blade lodged in the wall just above the fireplace. Jack cried out. Then chaos erupted. Every drawer in the kitchen opened at once. Pots flew off shelves. Knives and meat mallets spun through the air. Jack took cover under the table, reaching for his brother. Charlie threw himself to the ground and tried to crawl to him. A kitchen knife caught the edge of Charlie's arm. He winced as blood soaked through his pajama sleeve. He barely rolled away as the knife came down again. Charlie scrambled over to the table and joined Jack. He turned back to see a heavy iron stockpot slam into the floor where his head had been. The table lifted up above them, hovering in the air. Jack screamed. Charlie covered his brother with his body. They braced for impact. But then something grabbed his shoulder and pulled. Whatever it was dragged them out of the kitchen and into the dining room, throwing them to the floor with surprising strength. When Charlie finally got his bearings, he saw his grandmother bolting the door behind them. His jaw fell open at the sudden rescuer. They heard a heavy clatter from the kitchen. Then all went silent. The old woman looked at them breathless. I'm sorry, boys. I should have told you. I thought it would be best, would be safest, if you didn't know. But you mustn't speak to the spirit. Affection angers it. No gifts, no games. You gave it a gift, didn't you? The boys nodded slowly, eyes wide and terrified. She bent down to them, taking each of their hands. That's all right, boys, that's all right. The boggart will calm down. At least you didn't give it a name. Charlie's stomach sank into his feet and he exchanged a look with Jack. This wasn't good.
Coming up, Charlie's family tries to evict their supernatural house guest. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now back to the story. Charlie's grandmother cleaned the gash on his arm and wrapped it in gauze. Then she sent the boys to get dressed while she put on one of Mr. Bell's coveralls and marched them all out onto the grounds. Jack bounced from foot to foot as he followed along. He explained everything, how they'd treated the boggart like a fairy, bribing it with gifts and even giving it a name. In return, the creature had brought a chandelier down on their heads, destroyed the kitchen, and taken Charlie's last memory of his father, a wristwatch. Their grandmother sighed. I'm very sorry, boys. I'm not sure we'll get it back, but we can try. There is no defeating a boggart, only binding it. We will need some supplies. The family burial plot was less than 500 feet from the house. The iron gate groaned and squeaked as they headed inside. Stone angels bowed their heads, and Ivy clung to a row of small mausoleums. She marched past all of them to reach a small set of crosses at the very back of the cemetery. Charlie asked if the boggart was why they'd never visited before. Their grandmother's feet slowed. Your mother did not understand our family duty. The spirit will follow us everywhere. I couldn't risk leaving, and she would not come to stay. She pulled one of the wooden crosses out of the ground. Charlie cried out in alarm, but she ignored him. We need wood that's been blessed by the vicar. Charlie sputtered, But that's someone's grave! Their grandmother sped up her pace. It's my dog's grave! Charlie paused. Oh, why is it blessed then? His grandmother looked at him strangely. Because I loved my dog. The house was still when they re-entered through the front door. They went from the main hall to the dining room. The door to the kitchen was still locked. Their grandmother leaned low to whisper, Be ready to run. She stepped up to the door and raised her voice. Terence, you're a noble boggart. Surely we can come to some agreement. The door shook on its hinges. Their grandmother smiled. Come, Terence, do the right thing. I know you have it in you. The door flew open to reveal a cyclone of pots, pans, and kitchen knives. Their grandmother ducked just in time for a cleaver to sail over her head. All right, boys, let's go. She grabbed Jack's hand and led them back the way they came, through the hall and out the front door. The three of them clambered down the front steps and onto the lawn. Flower pots and stone sculptures shook and exploded beside them. Their grandmother moved with surprising speed, tugging Jack away from danger when he was too small or too slow to react. 
They left Hindmarsh Hall's gardens and made for the moors. In the foggy distance, Charlie could see the gnarled tree waiting like a lighthouse. As they ran, it seemed like the bog itself was trying to slow them. The mud coiled itself around their feet like a snake. Charlie and Jack were light enough on their feet to keep moving, but their grandmother was not. Charlie turned in horror to see her sink into the mud behind him. She tried to wrench herself free, but the marsh held her too tight. She screamed as her hip turned sharply. Charlie reached out a hand to help pull her out. She did not take it. She shoved the cross into his hands. Draw the boggart to the tree. Pin it to the ground. Go before you get stuck too. Charlie sprinted through the marsh, Jack close behind, until Charlie heard another scream behind him. He turned to see a large, shadowy shape, taller than the house they'd left behind. At the center of the shadow, Jack hung suspended. Charlie yelled at the shadow. You want me, Terence, not him. Come on. The marsh bubbled and rolled like boiling water as Charlie sprinted for the tree. The massive shadow reached for him. Charlie dove into a hollow by the roots. The tree shook around him as the boggart assailed it from above. This was the reverse of what his grandmother had told him to do. The boggart was supposed to be trapped, not him. But as quickly as the chaos above him began, it stopped. The tree went still. Charlie heard Jack fall into the soft mud. He peeked out from the hollow. The shadow had not disappeared. It had only shrunk. Shrunk until it was the mirror image of Charlie's silhouette. It extended a smoky hand. In that hand was a glint of metal. Dad's watch. Charlie crawled to the edge of the hole, beckoning the shadow in. He hid the cross behind his back and waited. It floated close to his face, waving the watch like a carrot. The boggart smelled like dust, ash, and broken wood. When it was within arm's reach, Charlie smiled. Hello, Terence. Kind of you to join me. Then, as fast as he could, he stabbed the cross into the center of the shadow. The creature recoiled, its shape twisting and warping in shock. Charlie caught the watch before it hit the soil. He slipped it into his pocket and grabbed the stake with both hands. Pulling as hard as he could, he dragged the shadow back into the hole. Then he drove the cross into the earth. The shadow grew and shrank, trying to escape. Its claws, if they were claws, grazed Charlie as he crawled away. He felt blood running down his shins, but then he was out of the hole. He ran to his brother. Jack sat up slowly, dazed. He winced and covered his ears as the boggart screamed from beneath the tree. The wind whipped around them. Then it stopped. The only sound was their labored breathing. They both stared at the tree, waiting for any sign of life. Their grandmother stumbled up behind them. Jack ran to her. Is it dead? She sighed. No, it cannot die, but it cannot escape. We'll water the roots with milk. 
As long as no one comes near, we'll all be safe. Charlie held his brother close. He promised himself to be a better older sibling, to listen more. Sometimes fairy stories can save your life, it seemed. Days passed, then weeks. The scratches on Charlie's legs scabbed over and his arm healed. Hindmarsh Hall was quiet. In time, their grandmother finally decided to send Jack and Charlie to school. The boys marched down the road towards town, their new uniforms overstarched and itchy. Charlie thumbed at his father's watch. The new band his grandmother had gotten him meant he could actually wear it on his wrist. They hit the turn in the road that took them past the Boggart's tree. Even far away, it was frightening. The moors always seemed more silent there. The marsh birds avoided it, but it wasn't silent today. Today, they heard the sounds of construction. Men shouted to one another. They were digging a trench near the field. Charlie waited for a lull in the noise to get the foreman's attention. Excuse me, what are you doing? The foreman kept his eyes on his clipboard. Extending the road, small sir. Factory going up about three miles from here. Ah, Charlie said, heart in his throat. Where is the road going to be? The foreman looked up. He squinted, then gestured as he spoke. The land's uneven there, so it'll curl around that great tree, then straight away to the loading dock. Why do you ask? Charlie's heart thundered in his chest. The shadows around the tree darkened. No reason. He tugged Jack away. There was no virtue in standing near a boggart hole. Household spirits and fae are often benign things, creatures that offer the homeowner an illusion of control. Bribe enough pixies and your luck is sure to change. If you believe in the fairies, any bit of good fortune is a result of the gifts you give them. Boggarts are not like this at all. According to the folklore passed down in some areas of Britain, there's no way to defeat a boggart. It can't be killed or banished or bribed. There's no controlling it. You can bind it to a certain spot, yes, but that only turns an unstoppable force into an immovable object. The boggart still sits in that darkness, waiting for a hapless victim to come close. You might think you can avoid boggart holes and haunted houses and be safe, but some boggarts cling to people rather than places. Older Northern English families can be plagued by the same poltergeist for centuries. One traditional tale recorded in 1825 tells the story of a Yorkshire family who tried to escape their boggart by leaving their farm. As they were loading up, they told a neighbor they were leaving. A disembodied voice piped up from their wagon, agreeing that they were moving away together. The family realized the boggart would follow them wherever they went, so they might as well face the threat in the home they knew. The boggart represents the fear of permanent bad luck, the kind of misfortune that cannot change no matter what you do. Once a boggart latches onto you, it never lets you go. 
This is why you must avoid boggart holes at all costs and desperately hope that your family hasn't already acquired one. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another mischievous monster. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Riche, with writing assistance by Robert Teamstra and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 